Welcome to the Battery Technology Podcast, sponsored by Munters, experts in climate control systems for safe, high-quality battery cell production and R&D, delivering stable, low dew point conditions whilst minimising energy use. Episode 9. Advances in Rapid Charging Technologies. The environmental case for the adoption of electric vehicles is a given amongst most people and the widespread adoption of EVs will have, in the long term, a profoundly beneficial effect on the issue of mitigating climate change. But there are a number of hurdles that have the potential to restrict the wholesale adoption of EVs and the issue of charging is a major one. The rate of charging the mileage delivered in a short burst of charging, and the concern shared by many that the charging infrastructure does not compare in any way to the experience of refueling with fossil fuels, where drivers know it's quick and reliable and will deliver in two minutes the capacity to drive for hundreds of kilometres. So the issue of creating batteries that allow for extremely rapid charging, delivering hundreds of kilometres of charge very rapidly, is central to the success of the EV revolution. But given the theoretical specific capacity of graphite as the anode, that's never going to be easy. So in this episode, I'm joined by Doran Meyersdorf, who's the CEO and co-founder of StoreDot, a company at the forefront of solving that conundrum, creating batteries that do allow for extremely rapid charging. I am very pleased indeed to welcome to the Battery Technology Podcast, Doran Meisdorf. Doran is the CEO and co-founder of StoreDot, and StoreDot are interested in business, uh, particularly interested in relation to extremely fast charging batteries. So I'm very, very interested to know all about that. So a very warm welcome, Doran, to uh, the Battery Technology Podcast. Thank you, Ken. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Well, I suppose a good place to start would be just to learn a little bit more about StoreDot. Uh, I've been busy doing some research in preparation for this conversation, but it's uh, it's a fascinating story. So it'd be good to get a sense of history and location and growth and and some of the technologies you're involved with. Sure. So StoreDot started about 10 years ago uh, in Israel, uh, out of Tel Aviv University. Uh, I co-founded the company with two professors. Uh, out of uh, the university, that they were dealing with the research for new materials. Uh, At the time, we were looking mostly at flash memory. This is my background. I came from SanDisk, and uh, one of the co-founders, Professor Litzin, he was the chief scientist of SanDisk. And uh, the materials that we were looking uh, uh, as, as molecules that improve the performance of flash memory. It evolved over over the years to be focused only on batteries because at the end of the day, we are dealing with the movement of ions and the ability to store electrons and and all that. So this was the the beginning. It it started with with flash memory and and morphed into into batteries. Parallels are there between flash memory technologies and battery technologies? It's, uh, I would say it's not a direct parallel, but it's, uh, 
I would say the fact that you actually need to store energy, and this is, by the way, the name store dot came from the ability to store in what we called at the time a nano dot. Today we are using nanoparticles of silicon, but in those days the, the nano dots were something else. They were, they were small molecules of uh, peptides. These are like amino acids uh, that uh, form into, into proteins, and they were the material that was actually uh, supposed to improve the right of the flesh memory. So the right of the flesh memory is considered more problematic uh, th than, uh, than the read. The read is very quickly usually, but the write takes time because of errors and such. And so we were looking for, for those materials. So the parallel that uh, you mentioned is mostly the uh, ability to, to take the ions and move them in a, in a fast way. Uh, from uh, in, in the case of the uh, of the memory, you you put them you you carefully insert them into a transistor. But in the case of the batteries, you move ions from cathode to anode back and forth. Yeah, underst understood. So based in Israel. Yes, the headquarters is still in Israel, but uh, we are a global company. We have uh, R and D labs in California. Uh, we have production in China. Uh, we have people uh, with our partners in Europe. So we really became a global company, uh, still headquartered uh, in Israel. I'm interested in the science of charging. Um, let's, and, a, and a good place to start, I guess, will we'll just be to talk through the, the general chemistry on that before we get into what makes extremely fast charging possible. Clearly, it's a, it will be a, a, an amalgam of anode, electrolyte, cathode, design, uh, but just if you can just give me a, a, a kind of a working man's understanding of the kind of constraints to charging and, and the, the kind of areas you're working in. So the basic mechanism is actually uh, what, uh, you know, the, the Nobel Prize in Chemistry 2019 for Professor Goodenough et al. Uh, for the lithium-ion battery. And uh, we are still mm -hmm. using that basic mechanism that moves the ion and stores them in an active material of the anode which is the negative side of the battery, it stores yeah. them uh, typically in graphite. And this is mm -hmm. a very uh, organized structure. You can think of it like a bookshelf and you have to place mm -hmm. the books in a very ordinary fashion uh, yeah. and, and in a slow way, because if you're trying to do that fast, it will all be kind of uh, not organized and will be accumulated in, in a line, which uh, becomes metal. It's like in a queue of, of uh, uh, these ions that are waiting to be inserted into these bookshelves. And, and this accumulation uh, and then this queue is, is what's uh, causing the problems of what some people call it dendrites, metallization. Uh, this is basically like a little needle that kind of grows uh, from the anode and punctures a hole through the separator and can create a short circuit that would lead to, uh, you know, fire or, or explosion. And that's why using graphite with fast charging is very problematic because you, you basically, there's a contradiction in the older fashion of the bookshelf and the, 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 the need to push the ions very fast. So what we are doing, we are replacing this bookshelf of graphite with a, a, a more amorphic structure of nanoparticles of silicon. And the, the behavior of the silicon is very different than graphite. It, it, it's more like a balloon. It kind of inflates uh, when you insert the ions. And this is also its problem uh, because it, it's, it's growing, it expands. So we need to control this expansion, but we, but, but we want to enjoy this uh, 
phenomena or characteristic that you can actually push all the ions very, very quickly into the uh, inside of the uh, this balloon or this amorphic structure. So uh, so this this is the, the essence of fast charging, is the ability to manage the materials that are the active materials that store the ions in the anode. And this is uh, most, most of our innovation is around that. Are you talking here about completely replacing the graphite with silicon, or are you talking about small proportions of silicon, uh, part of the graphite anode still? It's primarily graphite, but with some silicon, or are you talking about complete replacement? Yeah, so there are um, many solutions, including, let's say, by Tesla that uh, published that they're using some silicon and, and you know, CATL and, and, uh, and LG. They, they do add, like you say, they add a certain uh, percentage, let's say 5% of silicon into the active material of the anode. And the main purpose of this uh, additive of silicon is to increase the energy density. So yep. basically you get more range for the vehicles because it's like 10 times the energy uh, uh, when you compare silicon to, to graphite. We, we took a different approach when we said all the active material will be only silicon because we want to really charge in minutes. But that does not mean that there is only silicon in the anode. There are other materials like, like act, uh, activated carbon uh, that is maybe similar to graphite, but it does its purpose is more to protect the silicon as it expands, as opposed to hold more uh, of these ions in the structure. So this it's safe to say that 100% of the active material is silicon, but this is, we call it a silicon dominant anode. So there's mostly silicon. Understood. And does that have any ramifications or repercussions in relation to the electrolyte and the cathode because clearly you're making some fairly pioneering and innovative solutions at the anode but does that require for it to work in the way you want it to any changes to electrolytes or cathodes or does that work in the way you want it to with established technologies in those areas so that's a very good question because there are some startups that they focus on the anode uh, and they are trying only to change one element of the battery. We learned very quickly that uh, there is a new bottleneck that is being formed what you, once you are trying to charge very fast. Even if your anode is the best in the world, then the cathode will break very quickly or the electrolyte will not be able to handle uh, this movement of ions. And therefore, we took a very holistic approach when we are actually upgrading all the components and optimizing them to be uh, able to handle these uh, charging in minutes as opposed to charging in hours, uh, which is the great uh, achievement that we, we were able to, to demonstrate very recently. Yeah, I'm very interested in, in defining that, uh, what that means in terms of charging rates. I'm just wondering if you can illustrate that in terms of numbers, in terms of yes. comparative numbers between where we are with graphite and where mm -hmm. we are with silicon dominant. Uh, graphite, I mean. graphite has already reached the limit of what it can achieve in terms of fast charging. Uh, because today you do already have very strong, uh, powerful charging stations, let's say 350 kilowatt uh, stations being deployed, let's say by Electrify America, EVgo, and, and, and many others. Uh, but you really don't get the power uh, uh, of this station into the battery. You just get a fraction of it. And this is why it still takes 
I would say 40, 45 minutes to get to 80%. Even if the in the best vehicles, let's say a Tesla or a Porsche, uh, it, it will take 45 minutes. We are talking about really charging the entire vehicle, the entire battery in minutes. Uh, also up to 80%, but let's say in 10 minutes, uh, up to 80%. So this is at least uh, two, three times faster than anything else that uh, that is known. And, and the reason that we are able to do that is that we can take this power of the of the charging station throughout the charging cycle. You know, if you come with a Tesla that is totally empty in terms of the battery, then yes, at the beginning you can get a very fast charging and maybe you'll get 350 kilowatt. But then very, very quickly after let's say five minutes or let's say 20% of, of your battery, the, the current will slow down. The, the power will be de degraded because they are trying to protect the battery. They want to avoid this problem that I mentioned earlier about the accumulation of the ions and, and, and the, the rise of the temperature of the battery. So you are not really getting the 350 kilowatt and you are not enjoying it throughout the entire cycle of the charging. You're only enjoying it for the you know first 20, 30 percent. What we have developed is this chemistry that would allow you to take the 350 throughout the charging cycle. So even if you will come not empty, let's say you come with 60%, we'll still give you what we call 105. That's 100 miles for each five minutes of charging. So if these five minutes are at the beginning, you'll get 100 miles. If the 100, if, the, if you only have five minutes, but you come with 60%, you'll still get 100 miles, which is very unique. Nobody else can do that. And that's uh, that's the innovation is the ability to charge fast throughout the charging cycle of the battery. It's really interesting, this concept of range on demand, which I saw when I was doing my research into, into this, this conversation. That's not, it's not a concept I've come across before in the sense of it seems to be uh, something that, that is unique to StoreDart. I'd be interested in just talking through that concept in terms of where that idea came from and yeah, so, you know, we really we looked at the problem first, you know, we're trying to solve the biggest problem of, uh, you know, the electrification of vehicles. And the number one barrier for adoption by far is the charging. Uh, it used to be range anxiety. Now it transformed or morphed into the charging anxiety. People are worried that they'll get stuck on the highway or when they get to the charging station, there's a long line ahead of them or they you know, they need to have a very long lunch, uh, I don't know, four lunches uh, in order to, to get 50% uh, of the battery. So so the problem is, is uh, this, the problem statement is that people don't have time and they are worried about charging. So we were looking for a solution through chemistry of uh, basically eliminating this uh, range and charging anxiety and that, that experience is the experience of fueling. Basically, we are trying to replicate one-to-one, -one, you know, the experience of the driver that should be exactly like fueling, no changes. You, you come, few minutes, you're, you're, you're ready to go, you know, cup of coffee, you visit the bathroom, you go. And you have, you're, no, you're not worried about this at all. And, and I must tell you, I just came back from Norway. Uh, I got an, an electric vehicle. And, and, you know, unfortunately, it was a nightmare because of the charging. Mm -hmm. You come to places that uh, the chargers do not work or they are very, very slow. Like, uh, you know, the app will tell you 15 hours to charge. You only have a lunchtime to kind of uh, spend with your family. So that, that, that's, a, that's a big issue. You know, 105 is something that, that is good enough for most people uh, to get 100 miles for every five minutes that they have. 
at least you know you can get to your hotel or your home and, and charge overnight uh, if, if you get 100 miles. So the range on demand is the, is the idea that we have a technology that solves this anxiety. And people don't have time. You know, they're, they're fast moving. They, they, they want to have uh, their vehicle basically ready uh, when they need it. And they want to have the range ready when they need it. So range, range on demand is, is, is a perfect terminology for that. And then the names of the products that uh, we mentioned, the 105, we are now moving to the 104. And in the future, we'll have 103. That's a new terminology that, by the way, I saw already many others uh, in the industry are starting to use that because it resonates with people. People, you know, no they question. used to talk about 100x for acceleration. We are talking about 100x basically for charging. Yeah, I think that's a really, it's, it's absolutely fascinating from a marketing perspective, that terminology. I think it does touch on, uh, and to be honest, answers many of the issues that people feel in terms of this anxiety about, about EV charging. I'm interested just to explore the chemistry in a bit more detail. Uh, just picking up on a, on an answer from right at the start of this conversation, where you're talking about amino acids, I think we're talking about that in in the context in the context of when you were working for uh, Sandisk. Explore that in a bit more detail. So I'm I'm a big believer in uh, intersecting a number of disciplines in order to solve a big problem, because you know people are very focused in in trying to do what they know and what they are familiar with. Uh, and, and with the materials that there are today in batteries, you cannot charge fast. That is a given. So we have to innovate on the material science. Now, material science has basically two disciplines. There is the organic world and the inorganic world. In the organic world, um, this is like in drug discovery, you have to invent small molecules. You construct them basically from scratch. You know, from oxygen, nitrogen, uh, carbon, whatever is available, you build this molecule. Now, the people that we have, uh, these are very strong top scientists. We have 40 of them, by the way, uh, 40 PhDs that are basically um, working the same way that you would work in drug discovery. Many of them mm -hmm. came from the pharmaceutical industry. So we are trying to take the methodology of how you invent a new drug. And in the case of the drug, you know, it, it has a it has a meaning in, let's say, the, you want to cure uh, Ebola or, or, or COVID or whatever. So then you, you're trying to design some, uh, some uh, structure of molecules. In the case of uh, batteries, we are trying to solve a different problem. We are trying to protect the silicon, or we are trying to move the ions faster, or we are trying to uh, uh, enjoy higher voltage of the battery. These are molecules that, uh, and you need to experiment many of them because there's no book and, the, and there's no simulation that can tell you whether something would work or not. So we were innovating around the different additives, organic additives that we can add to the uh, what is called the slurry, which is the mix of the active materials. This is on mm -hmm. the anode side. Also, uh, some additives to the electrolyte that would allow a high power, high voltage electrolyte uh, in order to enjoy uh, the, the, the possibility of, of the silicon to, to have higher energy. Uh, because it, it, it's not just about fast charging. My goal for the team was we need to be best in class in the energy density and then deliver the fast charging. You cannot say, I have fast charging, but you can only drive, I don't know, half of the, half the distance. We have to drive the best distance that you can achieve, but give it in a fast way. So this was a very difficult mission. 
and the organic chemistry together with the inorganic chemistry, which is the silicon. The nano-silicon is actually inorganic science, which is a different discipline, and we have those scientists as well. And then we have the data science, which is the artificial intelligence that looks at, at the thousands of experiments that are happening in parallel. By the way, all the data is being uploaded to the cloud every second from each experiment. And we have thousands of experiments, not only in Israel, also in California, also in China, also in Europe. All of them are uploading to the same uh, cloud. Uh, and, and the data science tools are giving us some direction about which permutations, which, which configurations work the best for our fast charging high energy uh, goal. And that, you know, took several years, I mean, almost an entire decade uh, to reach this uh, size of the database, which is in many, many petabytes, that uh, would basically enable us to get some insights into those formulations that actually start to solve this problem. Because what we are doing was considered impossible to do. Maybe a hundred VCs and professors and experts, um, really a hundred of them that came and told me, Doron, you're spending money and it's 200 million that I was spending. You're spending time and effort and this will never happen. Go read the books in physics, why this cannot happen. So luckily enough, I had sufficient physicists in the room that told me, you know, with the right materials, it can happen. We just need to find those materials. They exist somewhere. But nobody tried because when they were working good enough at all on the on the uh, Nobel Prize, they didn't know it will be a Nobel Prize when they worked on the lithium-ion battery. They just wanted to demonstrate that you can take ions and store them. The the speed was not any of the criteria there. So what we are doing is we are basically leveraging or, or, or capitalizing on on this amazing innovation of the lithium-ion battery, but adding the the criteria of charging in minutes as opposed to hours. And this is like the big uh, innovation that, that happened. Very, very interesting. I'm just, just picking up on this issue about, as you mentioned, the, the analogy with drug discovery. I'm, I'm certainly not a, uh, involved in the pharmaceutical industry, but I know that they use AI and machine learning a great deal to inform their judgments. Very much. I can give you an example that uh, uh, was really fascinating to me. In the world of data science, uh, we, uh, there is this... Uh, notion of clinical trials are trying to predict the lifespan of let's say a patient now in our case so it took us several years okay so what i'm telling you maybe may, may sound trivial but it took us several years so if our patient is the battery and we are trying to make the battery live longer right because we wanted to have sufficient cycles of charging and discharging in the vehicle so we we took something that was relatively mature, actually a couple of papers from Stanford University, when they talked about AI in clinical trials and how you can predict which drugs are actually prolonging the, the life of, of the patient. And we used the same algorithm, same methodology, uh, same AI concept uh, of the clinical trials on the life of the battery. And we were able to basically get 10x on the life of the battery. So let's say if in 2017, we were at 100 cycles of charging and discharging the battery, and then it gets to 80% and starts dying. We are today at 1,200 cycles. Mm -hmm. of ex All these cycles are fast charging. So every time you go to the charging station, you can charge fast. So it's not like you know only once in a while you can go to a fast charging station. The, the model is exactly like fueling. Every time you want to charge, 
you can go to a fast charging station. This will not degrade your battery at all. I mean, the battery will degrade, but not because of the fast charging. So where are you in terms of manufacturability? Are you at, are you at, at the stage now where you're, you're, you're making batteries with this technology in, on a large scale? Or where are you in that development cycle? So this, this scale today is roughly 10,000 batteries uh, for testing that we've produced. Uh, and I'm talking large form factor for the vehicle. Uh, we are producing 30 amp hour cells. This is like, uh, you know, like a big chocolate uh, uh, box. Uh, uh, and, and we've produced like 10,000 of those. And they went to about 15 car makers all over the world. Uh, and they are now in testing different phases. You know, a year ago, we were with the zero programs. And today we are with 15 programs. And why that happened is because everybody started realizing that there is something here that they haven't seen before. This is something that, uh, again, was considered impossible to do. And now the realization is that it's happening. It's happening faster than, than people thought. And fast charging, we, we are ready for mass production next year. What is not ready is the infrastructure. What is not ready is the vehicle. What is not ready is the standards and, and all that. But, but in terms of the chemistry, because this was like the missing piece. Nobody thought that it is possible. So the whole ecosystem has not evolved to be able to... Uh, uh, provide this solution to the drivers but now that this is on the table and and they are testing it for over a year now and they are moving to what is called the b samples meaning the form factor of the vehicle uh, as as we move to that the the entire ecosystem is also moving the infrastructure is improving with 350 kilowatt stations uh the uh, you know the bus bars uh, the cooling within the vehicle is also upgraded uh, to be able to support uh, high power and these are things that, uh, you know, just in the past, there, there was no need because there was no fast charging. What are the downsides to silicon dominant anodes? I mean, clearly we know what the downsides are to graphite, but are there any particular issues chemically, scientifically, that you have to mitigate which are new because you've introduced this kind of new concept and new chemistry to the, to the marketplace? So the bigger problem that we kind of dealt with was the swelling, like we mentioned. And this, uh, for most uh, companies that are dealing with silicon, this is the number one concern, is that you know, over time, this amorphic structure of the silicon will kind of expand like a balloon. And, and you know, there, there might be a particle that detaches from the surface of the area of the anode roaming around the battery. And this is a safety concern. You also lose the energy. So the optimization that we were working on, including with the AI, was to find those formulations that hold the silicon in place, that there is what we call a hosting matrix, uh, that, that the silicon is embedded uh, inside this matrix, and this is an deactivated carbon uh, that, that we were talking about. And, and uh, then finding the right additives that would make sure that even after a thousand cycles, this is still in place and, and does not fall apart. Uh, so that, that that challenge is true to all uh, those players that are trying to uh, work with silicon. Uh, I do want to touch about, uh, you know, a challenge that is maybe not so much in the science uh, because silicon is very abundant. It's like the second most abundant element on earth. But the supply chain of nanosilicon in the purity that we need it and in the particle size, in the particle shape that uh, we have defined is something that we would need to build with our partners. This does not exist. So if we want to bring the cost down to be at least as graphite or even better, then we would need to uh, build many tons of uh, silicon supply 
uh, that is uh, adequate to our specifications. And that will take several years. And, and that silicon supply, geographically, you know, where is that coming from? What are the what are the limitations currently that you see uh, in that supply base? So that, that, that's the easy part because you know you can think about where is there sand? Anywhere there is sand, yeah. there is silicon. So silicon is not the, the sourcing of the silicon is not a problem, but the supply chain of the silicon uh, in this particular uh, characterization is a challenge because we need uh, companies to uh, invest in, in the scale-up of this technology. So there's one company that we have published that we are working with in Seattle called Group 14, uh, but we are working with others as well out of China, out of Europe, that are trying to develop uh, similar technologies uh, for, uh, for the silicon uh, particles. Coming back to that point in terms of the kind of issues, the swelling issues that you see with silicon anodes, of course, that's about design. That's about positioning, I guess, of where the silicon is, if you like, within within the anode. That's that's the key, I guess, to solving that issue. Yeah. So I think the innovation uh, is is actually in the fact that you you don't want the silicon to be uh, free uh, in the space. You want it to be encapsulated. So the idea is to take this activated carbon. Uh, and, and try to inject the silicon inside. When it swells, it it uh, it can swell inside the 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 porous structure and inside the the, the vacancy. Uh, so you don't see the swelling of the entire three D structure because it's all swelling inside. If that makes sense, yeah. So that that is the innovation is is controlling the silicon so it because silicon can swell easily three hundred percent easily. Mm -hmm. We are talking about 3% that is our goal for the swelling. So that's, that's really two orders of magnitudes. And the only real, really way to control this is if you either coat it or encapsulate it in some uh, this holding matrix that, by the way, is not only carbon, there's conductive additives. Some of them, uh, by the way, were designed by our uh, organic synthesis team. Uh, it's, you can think about it like a polymer that we add uh, to, to the structure that holds everything in place. For many many cycles, we also have an interesting patent. Uh, patent if somebody is interested about what we call a self-healing structure, uh, because you do get cracks as the silicon is trying to kind of expand, but then in the next cycle we show that these cracks disappear, and this is because of these additives of uh, the organic chemistry additives that are self-healing materials, and this is really fascinating to look in the microscope and see. Well, we had a crack here. Now, 10 cycles later, it's gone. So this battery actually heals itself. Fascinating. Fascinating. Another parallel, I guess, with uh, with medicine. You mentioned that you, you're working with 15 companies now in, in terms of going through the A, a sample and B sample process. Um, yeah. What does the future hold for, for StoreDot? Where, where do you see your organization being three, four years down the track now? So, you know, we are still a small company, only 130 people. So there's a limit to the number of projects that we can take because each company is asking for different things, different sizes, different form factors. Some want a large pouch, some want prismatic, some want cylindrical. Uh, and this, these are big projects, uh, especially that our pilot line can only produce pouch uh, cells at this time. So we are working uh, with uh, these partners, uh, these uh, car companies, to find ways to uh, provide them samples in their 
form factor, which is the B samples. So I think in three, four years, we'll be uh, in, in this final phases of the integration into the vehicle uh, with some of the large car companies. Actually, we are ready for mass production next year. Uh, and, and so we'll produce B samples in sufficient volume for testing in the vehicle. Then it takes another year or so to move to the C samples. The C samples are already those that are coming out of the mass production line. So there's, you yep. can certify them and then go through all the safety testing. So we are talking maybe total of three years from now until we are really on the road uh, with uh, some of our partners, maybe two or three of them uh, in, in 2026, let's say. I mean, where does the work you're doing fit into that move from kind of graphite, silicon to, to lithium anodes? So lithium metal anodes are more in the realm of solid state uh, batteries mm -hmm. that uh, I think are far away for the vehicle. Because mm. you see the problem, first of all, uh, uh, there's two problems. One, uh, lithium metal swells also. When you yeah. insert the ions, it, the lithium grows because it needs the physical space to hold uh, these atoms or the ions. Um, people don't realize, but, you know, the, the, at, the atom is huge uh, compared to the electron like several orders of magnitude, right? So you, we need to take, in order to, the, the, the lithium ion technology needs to store the ions. The electrons flow and, and give you the current, but, but what you need to store is, is, is a huge thing, which is the atom, or the, the, uh, the atom minus, minus the electron, which is the, uh, the ion. So uh, this is a very difficult thing to do as if you're trying to push this into the lithium, and basically, you are creating a, a, a sponge that is like every time being soaked with with these ions, with, with the lithium um, ions and on the lithium metal. So, so this is problem number one. Problem number two is that really uh, it is not a safe thing to deal with uh, lithium metal. I don't know if you ever saw. Uh, you can look online on YouTube. Uh, a clip of, of what happens to lithium metal when it's exposed to oxygen. You know, yeah. this is like fireworks, right? So that, that's yeah, yeah. immediate fire. So think about it that in the name of safety, because the whole idea of lithium metal and solid state started with the idea of safety that you want to eliminate the liquid electrolyte. So in the name of safety, we are basically asking the driver to sit now on, I don't know how many kilos of this uh, um, lithium metal that once any tiny little oxygen gets there, it's, it's an atomic bomb. Yeah. You don't want to be 100 miles from this vehicle when it explodes. And we yeah. want to put the driver in there and say, oh, now you have a safe car. So yeah. I think, you know, that it's, it's many years away until we'll see lithium metal um, batteries inside the vehicle just even because of the safety safety concerns. And and still the, 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 the science of solid state batteries, especially those that with lithium metal is not solved. There are some solutions already on the market that we, I, we call them a semi-solid because in order to move the ions, you actually do use uh, some, some liquid, maybe 4%. Um, and this I do believe uh, is, is a possibility. And as we move to our 103, we will introduce some semi-solid capabilities, but um, uh, our goal will still be fast charging. Otherwise, you know, you never get to, to 103. So those solutions that will maybe come, come out will be very slow charging, maybe higher energy, but very slow charging, and they need to prove the, 
their safety in the long run, which is a difficult thing to do. Well, that's been absolutely fascinating. I really appreciate your time. That's been a, a really, really interesting journey through your work. And uh, I very much look forward to following your success uh, over the next few years. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. The Battery Technology Podcast is a copyrighted GSE Media Limited production. For more details about how to reach us, you'll find our contact details in the show notes or at our website, www.batterytechnologypodcast.com.